Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where customer perceived value is the reason your company exists and your entire company needs to be focused on customer value, including your sales folks. Today, I have got an old friend, a really trusted colleague, a mentor, Tom Williams. Tom, welcome. Welcome, Mark. Thank you for uh, having me on your show. It's uh, a real pleasure. You and I have uh, kind of had a mutual admiration society for about the better part of a decade, and uh, I am honored to have you here. So thanks. Well, thank you. The feeling is mutual. So share with us, you know, I could give you the, I could give the bio, but I would love to have uh, you give everybody in our audiences sort of your, your bio, your journey of um, you and I met while you were a sales performance consultant, which is sales training plus all the stuff that makes sales training work. But you came into that consultancy uh, with a really fascinating background. That means you've got a, a much bigger point of view than the sales function. And so I'd love to have you share that. And also right up at the, at the beginning of this, why don't you tell people how they can get a hold of you? Okay, great. Well, first off, uh, thanks for the, uh, the kind introduction, Mark. Uh, people can get a hold of me very easily. Uh, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, and I'm happy to connect with anybody that, that would like to connect with me. Uh, they can also reach out to me by email at twilliams at strategicdynamics, with an S, firm.com, or I'll give you my cell number. It's 951-515-8159. Uh, in terms of history, I guess uh, I've been fortunate to do uh, – a variety of different things in, in my life. I guess my mother would probably say I, I really didn't, she didn't really, I don't really know what I wanted to be when I grew up. But I was fortunate enough to do a variety of different jobs. I actually started in sales when I was about 10 years old, uh, cutting lawns, shoveling snow. You know, I had a lemonade stand probably like many, many others uh, have done in their, in their, in their life. Uh, then I started a paper route and, uh, you know, had a paper route and I had to go out and sell so that was kind of my first exposure to, to sales. You know, um, I got into sales support right out of college, you know, and asking, uh, working for a medical device company. And then if I kind of fast forward, you know, I uh, was vice president of sales and marketing uh, for a medical device company. Um, uh, it was selling products worldwide. Uh, I then went and uh, started a, a medical services business uh, for another uh, large uh, technology, uh, hospital management technology company. Uh, and then from there, went off and started my own business. And so I went from, uh, from being a VP of sales and marketing to a, a CEO of a hospital to, you know, running a, me a medical services business. Uh, I actually ran two of them. Uh, I sold one, and uh, the other one was uh, part of an acquisition uh, by a hospital management company. Following that, I, I uh, started Strategic Dynamics, and, you know, we're a boutique sales and marketing you know, consulting firm, you know, we really focus on working with clients to help them improve um, deal velocity and overall win rates uh, of, their, uh, of their sales. 
we've been in business for almost 20 years and uh, you know most of our business mark uh, mark our customers are either repeat customers you know or they're via referral yeah well uh and that's because you get clients that are really happy with with what you've done now you and you um your colleague tom sane so tom and tom have written a couple books together and um i have written and re- or have read and reviewed both of those books um big fan of both of them and uh, why don't you walk people through buyer-centered selling and the seller's challenge yeah so the, the the genesis of the two books was really mark was to help sales professionals you know in their day-to-day activities you know what we try to do was to pick about 21 22 different you know, what we call sales challenges, things that uh, are come up in a typical sales situation on a daily basis for most sales professionals. Uh, And what we did is we listed those out in between the two books in terms of challenges uh, to the sales professional, and then how do you overcome that challenge? Uh, And so typically, you know, a lot of these things have been covered, you know, in one may have been covered in, in, in in a brief way in different books, but as you know, most sales books are written around, how do you prospect? How do you do a, provide a good presentation? How do you coach? How do you negotiate? You know, those types of, of fixed uh, skill sets, but they don't really get into, okay, how do I get by the gatekeeper? How do I deal with procurement? How do I, you know, do cross-selling, you know, that my companies asked me to do, right? How do I handle price demands? Yeah, uh, many you know- people- I am so, sorry to interrupt, but I, I love what you have done. Uh, you and I met when we were both at the sales methodology shop. And so we both were involved in, in getting clients successful by giving them a complete um, cradle to grave sales methodology and a two day strategic selling course gave you was an inch deep for that entire arc of the sales process. And these books take key sticking points in that methodology where you've over decades seen sellers really struggle. You wanted to, rather than just revisit the inch deep methodology, you went deep into the sticking points. And what a great compliment to uh, the other stuff that, that people have available. Well, I appreciate that, Mark. What we wanted to do is to, is to transfer the what to the how. Right. Yeah. And I think that's really what salespeople are, are, are struggling with. You know, as you know, most methodology programs tell you what to do, but they don't really tell you how to do it. And that's really what the foundation of our two books was. And, you know, and a program that we'll be releasing very shortly, you know, on, uh, on buyer centered selling. It's really the what and the how uh, to help people win large, complex deals. I mean, that's really where uh, I think the rubber meets the road and where um, salespeople are looking for guidance. Yeah. especially in the market with today's buyers that have changed so, so much. Yeah. So here's, I'm going to get back to big picture, uh, to the big methodology implementation where somebody hires a consultant like you and I uh, to try to, to change, change how they sell, change their sales culture. And we have both seen um, successful implementations and not successful implementations. So you and I both know it's not about you because you've had great ones and you've had bad ones and it's the same consultant. Um, but there's something about the client and 
I, I have some thoughts, but I'd love to hear you share some of your thoughts on what explains that. What's the difference? What is what makes uh, one of these initiatives successful versus not successful? Uh, successful. Yeah, thanks, Mark. I, I you know I I can probably talk about this for, this topic for a couple of hours because, like you, I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, and uh, and unfortunately, seeing more bad, more ugly. Uh, then I've seen, you know, good. I think that's why so many dollars of sales training dollars are, you know, are just not being used as effectively as they, as they should be. I, you know, there's a lot of different problems, but I'll, I'll tell you one is, is that training is often viewed as an event. And as you and I, you know, know learning is a process. It occurs over a period of time. And so all too often the training, sales training is viewed as an initiative that's, we'll do the initiative for X amount of time at the national sales meeting and then we'll forget about it. You know, we won't do any more, any more training, any more learning. Yeah, you know, um, the way I say it is that there's two kinds of training because there's two kinds of learning. There's training that is just knowledge transfer, which is how do I work the CRM, where are the bathrooms located, you know, how do I fill out a bit, you know, a quote, uh, who do I talk to for a pricing exception? That's knowledge transfer. You learn it and you get it. Uh, the other kind, which is what most sales training is, is changing behavior in front of a customer. So there's knowledge acquisition, which you can just do with a training event, but there's behavior change, which you can't. And that opens the door to a whole bunch of failure modes. So tell us, tell us what you think some of those are. Well, I think there's a lot of, you know, one of them is, is the, an obvious one that comes up all the time is budget constraints. You know, uh, sales VP will say to you, oh, gee, Tom, this is more than I thought I had thought, you know, the, and more than I budgeted you know, how can we get the price down, you know, which is a kind of an oxymoron, right? Is that uh, you want me to come in and train your, your salespeople on a methodology or specific skills. And one of those skills might even be negotiation. Uh, so, but you want to beat me down on price. Uh, and so, you know, that's kind of a, a crazy one. Uh, time constraints. You know, I can't devote the two days that, uh, that the program's designed to be delivered over. Can you do the training in, in a day or, or even better? Could you do it in a half a day? And, you know, and again, you can't teach the, the methodology or the, or the skill set in less time than what you've actually, you know, laid out and, you know, with good learning methodology, uh, you know, you just can't shorten it down that, type, that, that much time. Um, oftentimes, I, I laugh, I, I see a cameo appearance by sales leadership, you know, uh, where, you know, they'll come in and out of the training or they won't attend the, the training at all. Or even worse, they'll say, you know, all of us that are managers, we're going to sit in the back of the room together. And I'll say to folks, no, that's not the way to do it. You know, first off, the manager should be trained before we, we train the troops. Secondly, the manager should be out in the, you know, amongst the troops, you know, helping to, to be kind of a second facilitator, if you will, and, and embracing and watching their team and, you know, and being part of it. Um, but oftentimes leadership wants to take that role of, you know, we're leadership and we'll, we don't either need to be in the room or, um, you know, we'll get the training by osmosis or we'll get it, you know, we'll sit in the back of the room all by ourselves. And that just doesn't work. It doesn't send a positive cultural change. Uh, and it's just, it just creates all kinds of, uh, of ill will with the sales team. I think another one, Mark, that is, is, that's really prevalent is what I call no customization. You know, off-the-shelf training is off-the-shelf training. And, you know, my belief is that training must be customized 
the unique needs of each sales organization. And what that means is, as a facilitator, you must be able to deliver the content with relevant examples, you know, that make the participants realize this individual really understands my selling milieu. You know, they get, they get what I'm going through on a day-to-day -day basis. And secondly, each of the modules delivered must be relevant to the sales team, you know, and so this may mean, you know, removing one or more learning modules that aren't, aren't as applicable or pertinent or important to the sales leader and adding some different ones into the program. Yeah. And unfortunately, none of the methodology vendors will allow you to do that. Yeah. And so it's a canned approach, take it or leave it. You know, we know best, and it just doesn't adapt to the needs of the sales organization. You reminded me of a great story, and <coughs> to sidetrack it. I was uh, doing uh, training for one of the major private jet manufacturers. So these are seven to $40 million sales. And there's a module in the course I was teaching to them say, how, why is it so hard to get to the, the person with the budget, the economic buyer? Right. And, and so, and you're supposed to start out with you asking the question, why is it so hard to get to that guy or woman? And they just looked at me like I had three heads. Like, what do you mean? It's not hard. You just pick up the phone and talk to them. As a matter of right. fact, he gives you his, I mean, when it's somebody who owns a company like that and he wants a private jet, he gives you his private number. And he said, if my assistant accidentally picks up, hang up on her and don't even say who you are because I don't want her knowing I'm spending $26 million on a new jet until the thing's already done. Right. <laughs> so, right. so, but, so I lost the group for half an hour because I was forced to grind through that. Uh, that thing that just did not make sense. It, it's usually a highly relevant and highly engaging part portion of that two day event, but this time it just went nowhere. It lost me points. Yeah. And I think Mark, you know, each of us and, and probably many of our colleagues have sat through or had to, you know, participate as a facilitator in similar type programs, you know, and it's, it's one of the reasons why I just don't like, you know, the fact that uh, of these can programs that cannot be customized. Uh, you know, another problem with sales training is, is what I call no reinforcement. You know, and as you know, repetition and, and retention are key to effective sales training. Yep. And so if you think about retention here first, you know, sales, sales professionals don't become subject matter experts from simply attending one program because they can't retain all the information due to the forgetting curve. You know, practice is part of retention. And so that's one of the reasons why role plays you know, become so important and, and so practical. You know, it's, it's, you also want to make the practice harder than the actual sale itself so that the sale is, is, is really imp easy when they're in front of a customer. And mm -hmm. lastly, you know, everybody's got to practice, even the high performers, because, you know, we all can get better. Now, if you think about retention, there's really four ways that sales organizations can improve retention. One is they can use space repetition, you know, that, that prevents the, the, forgetting curve by moving new knowledge into long-term memory. So in other words, the brain determines what's most important to remember by registering how often it's presented. So you can use space repetition either during the training or, you know, following the training with some type of reinforcement. You can also, you know, teach the content in, you know, bite-sized pieces delivered in short segments. So this is especially relevant in a COVID world where virtual training and e-learning you know, it's becoming more and more popular. So we don't need to put people in a room for a day or two days. We can put people in a, you know, in a virtual setting or an e-learning format for an hour, hour and a half.
at a time. And we can deliver the same amount of content, but we can do it over a finite period of time. Uh, you can use just-in-time learning, you know, via smartphones and things like that and technology so that the sales reps can learn, you know, when they want to on their own time. Uh, and, in, and more importantly, in their own environment, you know, so if a guy or gal wants to be, you know, have a beverage at a Starbucks or, or be drinking a glass of wine in the evening while they're doing their learning training, they can do that. You know, and lastly, you know, we need training that is engaging all the multiple senses, you know, by using pictures, diagrams, videos, those types of things. And again, I think that's part of what you don't get when you're using a standard, you know, PowerPoint deck, you know, uh, with a facilitator stand up in front of people. Yeah. Uh, the other thing we were talking about um, that we actually were conditioned when we were at the, at the methodology shop was coaching. Make sure, that, make sure that your sales leaders know the stuff well enough and know how to be great coaches so that they can coach. And so that goes from retention, that helps the, the training, the intellectual property in, within the training go from something that was retained to the behavior change made. Because um, I've, I've seen people who understand what to do, but still don't do it. So you've right. got to, you've got to have that constant, um, coaching environment so that you're forcing people to use the language. You're forcing people to practice the skills. You're forcing people to think like that. Um, and that's, uh, that's, that's another failing, you know, failure point among, you know, there's probably a dozen more that we haven't talked about yet. No, you're exactly right, Mark, and that was going to be my next my next uh, segue. Was oh, that, I was jumped into your – No, no, you're, you're fine, but that was really the next point I was going to make is that there's really no coaching to mastery. In other words, you know, from my standpoint, what I think works best is the managers, you know, take the program ahead of time, right? That gets manager buy-in to support the training. It also gets them to learn the fundamental concepts right away. And so then when they take the program the second time with their team – they get a deeper, richer, you know, uh, knowledge level that just gets deeper and deeper as they work with their team, you know, and then, and then, and then after that training, you, you put the manager through a, a separate program on how to mentor and coach to that specific skill set methodology. So they become very good at, you know, um, helping their people become more successful. So you think about it, they really become subject matter experts, and then they can help their people apply it you know, in a, in a unique situation. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, I, in my book, I write about a value focused culture. And so I think that all of these things, um, getting that culture where the, the sales managers stay one step ahead of their troops and become the leaders and lead the change. And they, um, they help with that repetition, that, that stepped repetition. I think a lot of that goes into a, and, and you talk about it in your books, you know, like seller, buyer focused. Um, I think the important part, the, the kernel within being buyer focused is customer value focused. Because customer value is the part of the buyer, is a subset of buyer focus, but it's the part that you're actually selling to. Um, so I, that, that's my opinion, agree or disagree, but uh, I think that that value-focused culture, when that's present before you walk in the door as a sales performance consultant, makes everything else a lot easier and makes all that coaching, puts it in a context where people understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. 
No, I, I agree with you. I agree with you, Mark. I think, you know, that that's part of that, that culture is that, um, is when you get manager buy-in, right? If you get manager buy-in to support the training, uh, is it makes all the difference in the world. And, you know, that's another common problem um, that, that a lot of sales, why sales training doesn't, doesn't work is that, you know, if without managers, you know, approval and support for the training, it just doesn't work. You know, the managers are essential to drive adoption and results. And typically, as you stated, if you've got a good L&D department, um, if you've got good sales enablement within your organization, you probably have got the right culture built in around coaching and the importance of coaching. And you've created that positive culture that you're talking about. And therefore, really, what you're trying to do with the managers is just make sure that you've got the right program that's going to drive the right met metrics and the right results, you know, with their sales team. Which, um, yeah, which goes back to, to um, customizing for that, for that situation, for that client. Yeah, and, and part of that part of that manager buy-in is, is is I you know always ask people always ask the leadership is do you have anybody that you know doesn't want to be part of the of the training? In other words, they've got a fixed mindset that I don't need this. You know, this isn't going to work for me. You know, I uh, I've been selling for years. I'm good. Uh, you know, I don't need the training. And so, if you've got people with that mindset, you've got to change that that attitude. You know, ahead of time, or you're gonna or you're gonna create problems. You know, when you start doing workshops, you know, during the session, because that negativity will come out of, of with one or more people during the training. So, again, these all sound like subtle, subtle, obvious things. But if they're not covered ahead of time, you know, the training initiative, whether it's done by an outside facilitator or whether it's done internally, uh, becomes disastrous. Yeah. You know, I'm 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 lucky in this. And I, I think you've gotten to the point where you are, too, is that I don't really feel any great need to take money from a client that isn't setting themselves up for success. I'm happier just telling a client, you know, I'll, let me get you to somebody who will just take your money and give you some training that you're not going to be happy with because you're setting yourself up for failure here. And uh, I'm, I am now, I feel the luxury in my life and my career that I'm able to say that. And uh, I think you're, you are too. And what is that freedom like? And does it help give you confidence in front of the clients that you do take? And does it, and I guess the last one, does it give your clients more confidence in you? Yeah, I think what it does, Mark, you know, in my opinion, anyway, I think it, it, it's hard to get to that point, you know, uh, especially if you're being beat up by, you know, bring this deal in by the end of the month, end of the quarter end of the fiscal year. But if you're really going to be buyer centric, customer centric, you know, you've got to, you've got to be that, that consultant, that concierge, if you will, uh, that outside expert that helps that buyer who may never have bought sales training before, you know, to walk through the steps of what's important and to be done in order to give them the business outcome that they desire. Yeah. Uh, and, and sometimes that is, is that requires you to say, you know what, if you can't afford to do it this way, then let's see if we can't come up with a different, a different solution, maybe deliver it by module or something over a fixed period of time till you can get the budget. Let's do it a different way by customizing it, yeah. you know, or maybe you ought to just buy the book and read it. Right. And, and, you know, and let your people do the best they can, but you know, if you to spend a, a ton of money, you know, bringing everybody together, you know, a pre-COVID 
or maybe post-COVID, you know, into one, one learning environment uh, where everybody's together um, in a fixed location, you know, it, it's, it's too much money be, between what you, your travel expenses, you know, there and what you're going to pay the vendor uh, to provide this. Uh, you're going to just be wasting your time. And that's really one of the reasons why, Mark, I think the sales training just isn't working. You know, we, we talk about, we talk about, well, sales training is important, you know, and you need to do it. But at the end of the day, look at what the win rates are. The win rates are abysmal. You know, they're around 47%. These are for forecasted deals. In other words, these are deals that you and I are telling our manager, these are coming in this month or this quarter, and they don't come in. Yeah. So all this yeah. training with methodology and skills and everything else isn't working. And so, you know, I maintain it's, it doesn't work because of all these things we've been talking about, you know, and, and even some other things that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet. Um, you know, these are real live problems that need to be addressed, you know, within sales organizations before they spend a lot of money, you know, training people. Yeah, you know, I've got a couple of clients that have just bought the book. I didn't know that they bought the book and like they bought the book and then they bought the, the president the book and then they bought the whole company the book and then they wanted to just spend some time asking a couple key questions or doing a, one of the key exercises that they, they thought. And so I'm okay working with them because they're getting value. Um, but as long as they know where they want to go and I'm happy to help them along their journey, however they want um, as little or as much, you know, I have another client that wants to, wants me to walk them through and handhold them through the whole thing. And that's okay. So you can do a good, better, best within people who want to make the change. But if they don't have the mindset, uh, where they want to get their culture around this, then um, if they just want to buy my sales training modules, I'm, um, you know, I. Yeah, I call it, Mark, you know, a little different, you know, I, I call it walk, crawl, run, yep. you know, and, uh, but it really, you know, I think we're talking the same thing. It's just yeah. a, a change in vernacular. You know, it's, um, you know, there's different levels of, of performance, right? And sales leaders have to go and understand that there are different levels of, of, of achievement, different, different types of outcomes they're going to get. I think what you and I are, what your original question is, I think it was around how do we best handle that situation where people, you know, want to cut corners left and right, you know, and we know that it's not going to work, you know, based on our experience. And I think that's where it gets tough where you have to just tell the customer, you know, we're just not a good fit, you know, and, or maybe you just ought to read the book and, and do the best you can because um, this isn't the way we don't believe this is the right way to deliver the right results. Um, and, and, and leave it at that. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, I think we've both had enough clients. You hate to admit it, right? But we've both had enough clients that didn't get the results that they thought they're going to get. And I don't need another client like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, and I think, you know, oftentimes, you know, you will, uh, you know, clients want guarantees, right? Sometimes a client will say to you, you know, I want to, I want to guarantee if this doesn't work, I do I get a money back or whatever. Well, you know, when you sit there and you kind of look at that and say, well, what, what's your win rate today? And, you know, am I going to, you know, you don't have, they don't have the metrics. Maybe they don't have good people. Maybe they don't, they're not having good products. There's so many variables in that. But in general, I'm, I'm happy to, to, to price our stuff 
uh, that we deliver, you know, on a percentage on a percentage of growth. In other words, if if you get the growth, we want then we get x squared in terms of remuneration. Yeah. You know, and uh, and and every time I present that concept, somebody says, no, we'll just we'll just pay the pay the list price because people don't want people don't one is I think if you they know you're confident enough that you'll change your pricing model then uh, that, that takes care of what they some of the risks they have yeah. and I think the second thing is nobody wants to overpay either and so they sit there and say man if these guys are this confident that their their uh, their training can really move the needle for us boy I don't want to have to overpay yeah no it makes a lot of sense um, what else, you know, we're running up on time. So is there something else that we didn't talk about that you want to make sure that we get out? Yeah, there's a couple of things. I think one is, is that, you know, you've got to have an, enough uh, skill development, you know, based, you know, uh, worked into the program, you know, because uh, people, people learn by doing, right? And so the more, the more that they practice doing the skill, um, you know, within a, within a workshop environment, uh, the better they're going to be. I think also we'll make darn sure that we get certified coaches, you know, within the organization. So we talked about training the managers, make sure they've got the right competency level that you can, you can certify them as coaches, you know, to the methodology, you know, and then that's, I think that really then starts to, starts to wrap it up in a, in a nice bowl that you can be successful with the training. Yeah, that's important that uh, it's not you doing the training, it's them doing the adoption. And if they've got their own in-house expertise, um, the ideal is, you know, my job as the consultant is to work myself out of a job and have you really be an expert at managing this for yourself, which means we've got to instill expertise, high level expertise in-house in your company, um, which changes their culture. Exactly. And I think the last thing, Mark, is one of the things that is really different between an inside and outside sales organization is, Inside sales organizations are much more attuned to using and keeping up the CRM. Uh, and so I think you want to have some type of technology solution, you know, with your methodology or with your skill development programs that you can tie back to some type of technology that integrates within the CRM, because that again helps to embed it, particularly for inside sales organizations. Outside sales organizations, it takes a little bit more time uh, and you've got to, you know, you've got to get those folks on board. Uh, but as we're, you know, seeing with, you know, with, with COVID, where more of our people are being tethered, you know, to their uh, home office and to their PCs, you've, we've just all got to get better at using the CRM. And, and if our technology, our training and learning that we do integrates with technology, it just becomes much easier. And, and I think we get much more retention and, and better, better sales outcomes. Uh, absolutely. And, and just as a minor well it's an important but it seems like a minor technology detail that is all those micro learning modules uh if those are available in the crm so your salesperson when they're saying this is what i have to do next and i just don't quite remember how that was supposed to go and that micro learning module is a click away uh, yeah so and as you know mark the more of this that the more of the of the, of the repetition and the reinforcement that occurs all this, what happens is this becomes part of, and the teachbacks that are done, the role playing that's done, all of these become, makes it part of the sales DNA of the individual. And over a period of time, they become, it just flows right from their mouth, right? They know instantly what to say because they've got that immediate recall from their brain. Yep. They've done it enough times that that recall is there. 
And so uh, they're building on that, and it just makes them much more proficient and much more profound. Yeah, it's mus- I've heard terms like muscle memory or unconscious competence. You're so good at it that you do it without even thinking in- about it anymore. Yeah, good, two, two good uh, descriptors. Yep. yep. So, Tom, thank you so much. Uh, tell us again how to get a hold of you. Uh, f- feel free to have people connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, also can email me at twilliams at strategicdynamicsfirm.com or they can go and uh, call me on my cell phone at 951-515-8159. And both books are available on Amazon or in uh, through your local bookstore worldwide. Great, Tom. I'll make sure that I get those book titles in the description on this podcast. Uh, Thanks a lot for joining us, Tom, and thanks for joining us on the Value Clarity Podcast, where we believe that value only exists in your customer's mind, which means your success with your customer sits all in your customer's head. Thanks, and go out and have a high-value day. Well, it ain't easy, cause value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're gonna drive both of you insane. And if you ignore your customers' outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues, cause you'll be singing those old, don't know value blues. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.